Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. We're talking players drafted in rounds four through seven of the 2019 NFL Draft on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Hi, everyone. Welcome on Into Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by FFB Cast and the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined tonight by Matthew Friedman, the Editor in Chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. How you doing, Matt? Uh, I'm doing well. Um, I feel like it's the the first week we have in a while where there's nothing big coming up on the weekend. Uh, obviously, a couple weeks ago we had the draft, and then last week we had the uh, Kentucky Derby. So it's uh, just kind of nice to have a uh, kind of normal, casual sports week. Nice. Now, um, I don't know if you're a hockey or a basketball fan, if, if you would even have any teams at this point that you'd be following. No, not really. I mean, okay. I, you know, I track the sports, but uh, I'm not. I don't have a rooting interest in any of the, the teams remaining. Gotcha. So I still have Celtics and Bruins going. So it's a it's a fairly exciting stretch of the year for me. Um, obviously, in addition to all of the the things that we have going on at RotoViz. Uh, but so a week has passed, 
have any of your stances on players radically changed? I, I think for me, you know, really, I haven't had anything come to light that I hadn't already considered that's made me rethink anything. But, you know, the people want to know if the Oracle stances have changed. No, I'm pretty much where I was. Um, I may be a little bit higher on on David Montgomery uh, than I was last week. But I mean, for the most part, I think I'm pretty much where I Oh no, no, no. Actually, yeah, let me rephrase this. OK, yep. so we recorded last week. And then I went back and looked some more and, and bumped Montgomery up in my rankings. But I still don't have him like in my top five of uh, of rookie rankings. He's, I think, for me, like number eight, number nine, something like that, which I think is lower than most people in the industry. Um, so, like, I'm higher on him than I was when we recorded. But, like, after reaching that point, I've pretty much stayed there for the last week. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And, and we were recording pretty fresh after the draft. So... Um, all things considered, you know, that's really not too much of a change. Um, but before we start looking through rounds four through five, I want to remind everybody about a uh, up and coming fantasy football company called FFB cast. We talked about them last year. And again, I still think it's one of the coolest ideas I've heard in a while. But basically, what they do is they record custom podcasts for your fantasy league. So right now they have an ongoing special for their draft recap episodes. One of their hosts will break down your league's draft, critique poor decisions, shower praise on those who earn it. And this year they've added ADP check-ins with friend of the show, Denny Carter. Denny will give his two cents on where players are drafted relevant to their ADP. FFB cast provides many options when it comes to covering your fantasy league. Their quick clips episodes offers a video option where FFB cast will live stream the recording on their Twitch channel all while displaying your league's webpage. Don't forget about their weekly recap episodes as well, beginning week one of the NFL season. FFBcast also offers the opportunity for you to hire industry experts to make guest appearances on your podcast. I helped out with uh, one last year. It was a lot of fun. Uh, actually, Denny and I did one, and um, you know, it was, it was good. It was fun. I can definitely see how it would be really cool to have one specific for the leagues that you play in. So, Follow them on Twitter at FFBcast. Check them out on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. Then head over to FFBcast.com today for your league's very own custom podcasts. Matt, I believe that we hit upon some players that were drafted in rounds four through five, but I have compiled a list for us to look through of every player drafted uh, in rounds four through seven that could become fantasy relevant uh, at some point in the future. So did we talk extensively about Justice Hill? Uh, I don't remember if we did. I mean, I think the big picture thoughts on him, I think we maybe did, but the big yep. picture thoughts on him, um, you know, I think he's going to get a lot of action as the number two back behind Mark Ingram in what is likely to be one of the most run heavy offenses in the league. Um, and I think, you know, that's year one and year two, he could be the lead back. Right. So I guess one of the, the things I've been thinking about now is there's been a couple of backs that we've see or that we've seen get a piece of the action in Baltimore, but none of them have been able to put it into anything that has really sustained for, uh, you know, for like a full season, even really, unless I'm incorrect there and I'm not remembering correctly. Yeah, I mean they've cycled through um like a number of backs over the course of like multiple seasons. Um and sometimes there is a guy who maybe for like 10 to 12 games emerges as the lead guy, but um they've always kind of gone with just like uh whoever is hot for the season type of strategy. 
Right. So I guess the, the the one question that we probably should try to answer, and it might even be hard to, to pin this down now, is could Mark Ingram or Justice Hill be the guy that somehow makes this stick? And personally, I'm not that inclined to say that either one of them will. You know, I'm not as high on Mark Ingram's prospects as when, when the um, when he first came to Baltimore or, you know, when we first realized that there was the possibility of him being the lead back. I know that you weren't that high on him to begin with. Yeah, I mean, the the interesting thing is that it's a new offense. Like, a lot of our expectations have been calibrated to what was happening with Joe Flacco and then also, like, what was happening with a slew of really uninspiring backs. Like, Mark Ingram is the highest pedigreed back that they've had for a long time, and it's just a new type of offense. And then Justice Hill, like, kind of outside of, like, you know, the round in which he was drafted, like, I think he's maybe one of the most physically impressive backs that they've had in a long time. So I think either one of those two guys um, could emerge as the lead back. Like, I'm expecting Ingram to be the lead guy. Like, he's just built for it. Justice Hill is built as more of a change of pace, like, type of runner. But I think in year two, he could be the lead back. Like, I I think either one of them could emerge. Yeah, that's certainly possible. Now, a more interesting situation, uh, potentially. So, Benny Snell, the running back out of Kentucky who had very nice collegiate production playing in the SEC, big-bodied SEC back for you, Matt, but did not have the athletic profile or the measurables that we'd like to see, not a strong speed score, uh, didn't necessarily have a whole lot of agility. What do we do with a player like this? As we've talked about in the past, I am pretty high on James Conner in a three-year window, but is it possible that a guy like Benny Snell could come in, overtake Conner, and become a major cog in that Pittsburgh offense? Um, no, but um, he is someone I like. I, I had him number 11 overall in my way too early rankings before the combine. Um, obviously, he's much lower in my rankings now, but um, he's built like Jeremy Hill and Carlos Hyde, and actually he's really comparable to James Conner, just in terms of his size, his athleticism, his college production, and even his draft capital. Yep. Um, so, I mean, there's not that big of a difference between Benny Snell being drafted at, uh, pick 122 and James Conner a couple of years ago being drafted at pick like, I don't know, like 101 or it something was, It was like 105, that. I think. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. that, you know, like they're like, they are actually really comparable. Um, I think one of the, the main differences, uh, is that Connor, his senior season actually was a, a pretty decent receiving back. Snell doesn't have that, but, um, Snell, I think has a really good chance of winning the number two job. Like if they were satisfied with, um, with Jalen Samuel as the backup, I kind of doubt they would have spent a fourth rounder on Benny Snell. So I think he has a real chance to, to win the backup job. Uh, so I think that makes him pretty much a must own handcuff. And, you know, Connor's contract is up in two years um, and they just went through a a pretty uninspiring contract situation with Le'Veon Bell. Uh, you could easily see how they could let Connor walk in two years if they think that Snell could replace him. So Snell is someone uh, I think actually provides some value uh, in round three of rookie drafts. Yeah, for sure. I, I can definitely see that now just to speak a little bit more to why Connor is the incumbent and I think that there's a very good chance that you know it really is his job to lose if you go back 
and look at his college career, you might be surprised to see just how astounding some of his stats were. Um, you know, in his sophomore season, 1,765 rushing yards on 298 attempts with 26 rushing touchdowns. Uh, yeah. In his senior season, 1,092 yards, 16 touchdowns on 216 attempts. And as you said, played a big role as a receiver to four receiving touchdowns, 302 yards as a receiver, 21 receptions. That is definitely something that we've seen the team use him doing last year. We've seen them do it with Le'Veon Bell. Uh, So he does fit in a bit more with what the team is likely to try to do. And don't lose sight of the fact that uh, Connor might be a better overall football player than, than you're accustomed to thinking. Yeah, I mean, Connor is really good. He's he's clearly the lead guy there, and I don't think Snell is going to take any of his work away. But I think as a handcuff and a potential like long-term play, um, as maybe even a hedge to Connor, uh, Snell is really intriguing. Yeah, and I think it comes back to they're both just in a very solid landing spot, uh, which really is half the battle at the position. So as we continue to look down this list, um, Riley Ridley is the next name, went to Chicago. I know you're not super high on Ridley. I do think that, you know, some people might want to extrapolate what uh, his brother did in Atlanta to a team that looks like it's trending uh, in the right direction in Chicago. Could you make a case for Riley Ridley as a kind of sleeper candidate uh, receiver option? I mean, eh, I don't know. Maybe um, the the case would be something like um, he was a four star recruit um, when he entered college. Uh, the like tape grinders really like him because he's a good route runner and he has good hands and he's physical. Um, he was at least the number one receiver uh, for the Bulldogs last year. He's coming out early. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, and also this is, this is kind of a big part. Uh, you look at Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel and Anthony Miller, like Allen Robinson was good like years ago, but he's not dominant now. Like there is opportunity on that depth chart, but that said, like, he's not really that athletic. Um, and maybe he plays better. Uh, he being Riley Ridley, uh, plays better than his, um, you know, his timed athleticism, but I'm just I'm not going to be all that optimistic on a guy who really didn't produce in college uh, and has you know only fourth round draft capital being able to produce in an offense that I don't think is actually all that good. Right. And I think also Anthony Miller is pretty good. Uh, he's better yeah, than I Riley mean, Ridley. So, you yeah, know, that's I mean, just he, one he more probably hurdle. is like, oh, probably. He, I mean, probably he almost certainly is. Yeah. Um, you know, more productive in college, uh, higher draft capital. Like the team is more invested in him. Right. Okay. So not too much to speak about there. I don't know if any of the other names in front of, uh, Foster Moreau, uh, have any significance to us. If not, we can jump ahead to him. Yeah. I mean, uh, one name, uh, Troy Pollard, uh, is actually pretty interesting to me. Um, he's like a hybrid guy, like running back, backup running back type slot wide receiver, uh, never really had a great position at Memphis, um, but he has good size, six feet, 210 pounds. He ran a 4.52 at the combine, which isn't bad on its own, but like that time is actually not representative of who he is. Like he had food poisoning at the combine at his pro day. He ran a 4.38. So even if you add, you know, some extra yep. seconds onto that, like he's, he's still like a very physically impressive uh, player. Uh, and then on top of that, um, he's really versatile. Um, 
you know, last year, so he was never the lead back. He was always a backup, uh, specifically behind uh, Daryl Henderson. But last year he had uh, over a thousand yards from scrimmage, nine touchdowns from scrimmage. On top of that, he had a kick return touchdown for his college career. He had seven kick return touchdowns. So like, there's a lot of um, intrigue with him. The question is just like, how, how much is he going to be used in Dallas? Um, he has a skill set that really overlaps with Tavon Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Cowboys didn't really use Tavon Austin all that much. Um, you know, so they just want to funnel the ball to Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper. So there really are questions about how much opportunity he will get. But if he somehow gets opportunity as a change of pace guy or a kind of gadget player, he really is someone who's interesting. I like it. Now, this is one of those guys, too, that maybe this is a name that uh, even for redraft players, we file away in the recesses of our brain. And then if at some point, maybe another Zeke suspension, he misses some time, he could be kind of one of those, uh, you know, sneaky ways to cash in if Zeke is unable to play. Um, Because, you know, we do see situations like that arise. Um, All right, Matt, continuing along, what other names uh, did you did you see on here that you wanted to get to? Uh, I'm not that interested in Foster Moreau, okay. uh, Hunter Henry. I mean, you know, whatever slot guy, um, uh, Hunter Henry, Crimson, sorry, Hunt, Hunter Renfro, <laughs> Hunter, Hunter Renfro. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He wishes he were Hunter Henry. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, sl- old slot guy from Clemson, not that athletic, but you know, probably, you know, more athletic than his timed athleticism would lead you to believe, um, you know, a slot only type of player. The thing is, uh, I could see him actually carving out some opportunities in Oakland, maybe not even in year one, but um, if he's bracketed by Tyrell Williams and Antonio Brown um, and all he has to do is beat out Ryan Grant. And I don't really have that high of an opinion of Ryan Grant. um, I could see Hunter Renfro being a guy who has, uh, I don't know, some sort of low end fantasy impact, probably not even like in year one, two, but like Adam Humphreys, you know, like it took yep. him a while to kind of develop into a guy in Tampa Bay. I, I could see that for Hunter Renfro. I'm not excited by that, but I mean, that might be useful to someone. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. Now, um, a name that you actually skipped over that I'm not necessarily excited about, but I think it raises an interesting question. That's Zach Gentry, uh, tight end out of Michigan going to Pittsburgh. I feel like for maybe the last five or six years, people have been hoping or thinking that there is going to be some value emerging that's significant for a tight end in that Pittsburgh offense. It hasn't happened. Um, do you think that at this point, even if it's not him, that is even a position that we should hold in any type of uh, reverence? I mean, I think Vance McDonald has a real shot, especially now that there's not a clear number two guy to take uh, snaps and yep. targets away from him. And Zach Gentry, like, I mean, what is he, a fourth rounder, a yep. fifth rounder? Yep. Like, I, I'm i not going to be interested in a guy like that at, at the tight end position, at least in year one. Right. So if, if we take that back to McDonald, um, I know we're kind of getting away from just looking at these guys. But while the question is there, I'm going to ask it. Do you see, um, as, as you, you kind of alluded to, Antonio Brown's gone. Definitely some changes there. Is there a bright outlook for Vance McDonald heading into 2019. Uh, I I still see him kind of as a middle of the road tight end option. Yeah. I mean, the weird thing is I think he is middle of the road, but like that could still be low end tight end one because like there's such like, 
there's not much that really distinguishes the guys at the bottom of tight end one and all of the guys kind of in the middle of the tight end two tier. Um, so, I mean, there are some pretty sharp rankers who are putting McDonald as like the number 10 guy. And it, like you can see how they get there. Uh, he did have some big games last year. Jesse James is gone and Antonio Brown is gone. Like some of those targets have to go somewhere. Um, so I, I can see it like he's an upside play. He's probably not going to end up on too many of, of my teams, but, um, I, I can't see why he's ranked where he is. Yeah. And it's going to be kind of a confusing process. I think working through, uh, as we, as we, you know, once we're into full redraft mode, talking about tight end rankings, cause it really was a bit of a wasteland last year. So trying to make sense of that, it's going to be fun. Uh, The Los Angeles Chargers took Easton Stick, quarterback out of North Dakota State. Is he the heir apparent to Phillip Rivers? Uh, I mean, I don't think you can say that about any guy who's drafted in the fifth round, but he (laughs) he is intriguing in that, um, you know, he has a lot of QB wins on his resume. Um, But like more importantly, uh, he's a dual threat guy, um, actually pretty athletic. He's not all that big, but I think he's probably big enough. Um, and he was accurate too in college. Um, you know, coming from the same school that produced Carson Wentz, so it's not as if I like. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying he's Carson Wentz, but it's not as if a guy coming from that level of competition can't play in the NFL. Like we've seen it happen. Um, so. I mean, he's not going to be on a dynasty team of mine for at least a couple of years. Um, but if he's still in the league by then uh, and he's available on waivers, then maybe I would add him. But uh, I mean, on his own, he is intriguing. Right. OK, um, then final player uh, that was drafted rounds four through five that we might want to talk about here. Um, Darius Slayton out of Auburn goes to the Giants. He's pretty uh, speedy receiver. Uh, I think he was in the four threes at the combine. Beyond that, we have not uh, really mentioned him. He didn't get too much hype, of course, going to a team that it's going to be either Eli or Daniel Jones throwing to him. That probably doesn't really raise the eyebrows for you. Yeah, I have literally no interest in him. (laughs) Okay. And on that note, uh, we want to take a brief second to tell all of our listeners about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Well, it may be the off-season for most people. It definitely is not for our listeners or the players over at the FFPC. If you're a diehard who's ready to draft now, the FFPC best ball leagues are already open for the 2019 season with drafts forming daily, starting at just a $35 entry fee. If you're a fan of the Dynasty format, over the last few years, the FFPC has become the go-to destination for serious Dynasty players. They have almost 300 active Dynasty leagues starting at $77, and they even have a $5,000 entry Dynasty league. And the best part is, not a single Dynasty league has folded in nine years. Limited orphan teams are available for purchase, and brand new startup Dynasty leagues will be opening shortly. Don't miss the FFPC experience. Rotoviz listeners go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. 
Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Keyshawn Johnson, another young wide receiver going to the Cardinals. Naturally, we talked about Andy Isabella and um, Hakeem Butler last week. I don't think we mentioned Johnson, and I'm actually not sure if you had you know any feelings either way on him before the draft. Yeah, uh, kind of uninspiring. Um, he doesn't have good size. He's, I mean, he has like mediocre size. It's six, he's six one, two hundred one pounds. Um, he doesn't have great athleticism. Four point six forty time. Um, I'm not really all that interested in him. Like he was productive, but I don't think even all that productive at Fresno State. And he was a sixth round draft pick. Like he's he's not someone I'm interested in. Yeah, exactly. Caden Smith will be playing behind George Kittle in San Francisco. I think we can move beyond him. Travion yeah. Williams, I actually am a little I liked him as a prospect given uh, a tremendous junior season. There were things in his profile that I did like. He ends up in Cincinnati. He's going to be behind Joe Mixon. I believe that you like Joe Mixon, so you probably don't see much of a path for Travion Williams to playing time. Yeah, but I still like him quite a bit, actually. Um, as a you know a late round three guy, yep. I think he has a lot of potential. Um, not only because he was very productive at uh, Texas A&M, which he was. He was the lead back there right away. Um, but uh, Giovanni Bernard is in the final year of his contract. And I think Williams has a really good chance of becoming the long-term number two back in Cincinnati. Um, and, you know, Joe Mixon, as good as he's been, uh, he has had some injury issues. And, um, you know, he has just two years left on his contract. Like, I think there's some potential there for Williams. For sure. And I think the other thing, too, is, um, you know, Mixon definitely has some ability as a receiver and the team can certainly use him um, on all downs. But just because he can doesn't mean that it's guaranteed that all of a sudden, you know, he's going to be controlling the overwhelming majority of all running back snaps. So, you know, if Travion Williams does fall into that uh, RB2 role, there's definitely some points to be scored there. So I still like him. Um, And overall, you know, it's probably not the worst landing spot that he could have found himself in. Um, As we continue down this list, I don't know if there's any names um, right after Williams that you want to talk about, Matt. Yeah, uh, some people are talking talking about Dexter Williams as someone in Green Bay um, yep. who might see some action uh, in part because you know he was decently productive at Notre Dame, um, and then the running backs in Green Bay haven't really established themselves. Um, you know, there's potential there uh, with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, but uh, neither one has really like seized the lead back role. Uh, and it's a new coach, so we really don't know what he thinks about those two guys. Um, so, you know, some people are giving him some hype. I'm not really all that interested in him, but like he's a name to note. Um, Marcus Green is someone who is uh, interesting to me. 
uh, in part because uh, like Tony Pollard, uh, who we talked about earlier, like he is a really versatile guy. Um, the thing is, he's like pretty small. So he's a like wide receiver slash running back. Like there are questions about how he's going to be used. So he was a wide receiver in college. Um, the number one receiver at uh, Louisiana Monroe, um, which was like just a really bad team forever. Um, but he was still productive there. Um, his final season, he had over a thousand scrimmage yards, 10 all purpose touchdowns, uh, had a punt return touchdown, uh, returned for kick returns for touchdowns, uh, in his college career. Um, but the Falcons reportedly are thinking about using him at running back, which is kind of interesting, but then he's going to be stuck behind, uh, at least for a first year, Devonte Freeman and Ito Smith. Um, but I still think he has just like this all around skill set where he's small, but he's really fast at 4.39 second, 40 time. Um, where like maybe he is the type of guy who could, um, do you remember, uh, what is his name? Uh, Anton Smith, Anton Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe he could sort of be like that type of player for them just based on like his all around skill set, his size and his speed. Okay. Yeah. Um, He was the player that like, um, there was a stretch where across like six weeks he'd racked up a bunch of points and it was on like literally six plays because he just kept breaking off like 45 50 yard touchdowns yeah yeah like 2014 anton smith like i could see um like green has that in his range of outcomes just based on his style of play and also like even like it's the same team you know so um i i could see how that could happen with him um but um i mean that's unlikely but like of of the guys in this range he's the one who is who's most intriguing to me uh and then uh actually a couple more guys in the sixth round uh rodney anderson i think we talked about him before as like the big guy from oklahoma was very productive in his one season of health but uh other than that like he had three seasons where he was unable to play because he was injured um but he is I don't want to say he's a a Joe Mixon clone because he's not as good of a receiver, but he is actually really similar to Joe Mixon. uh, And he was drafted by the Bengals. Like there is the opportunity, I think at some point where he's like the direct Joe Mixon handcuff. And then Darwin Thompson, um, as a guy out of Utah state, never played at a high level of competition one year at Utah state. And then two years at junior college before that. Um, but was always the lead back, very productive, like explosive athleticism with the Kansas city chiefs, um, who really have just Damian Williams there. Like, I'm not thinking too much about, um, uh, Carlos Hyde as someone who could really threaten for touches. Um, but Thompson has like a, a pretty all around skill set where I could see him getting some action. Uh, so he's interesting to me in the sixth round. Yeah. Now you skipped over Kelvin Harmon. No love for uh, Harmon in Washington. Uh, I mean, maybe, but not really. Not <laughs> yeah. that interested. Yeah, no, me either. And unfortunately, you know, I found myself, um, nobody cares about this, but in a, um, actually in a, in a, Rotoviz contract league that we've had going for a couple of years in a spot in uh, our rookie draft where like I had to go with Kelvin Harmon. Um, it was pretty late on and I, I'm still kind of looking back wishing that I had just taken a chance and even like a guy like a uh, Rodney Anderson probably would have made more sense. Yeah, um, to, to put this in perspective, Marcus Green, the guy who has probably no chance of doing anything in the NFL, who's really small, I have him ranked ahead of Kelvin Harmon in my rookie <laughs> rankings. And like, I'm, that's probably wrong, but like, I'm just not interested in Harmon. Right. Okay. Um, continuing down the list. Yeah. So uh, in the seventh round, I mean, I have to give the like obligatory mention of Mike Weber. 
as someone who will yep. probably be the number two back uh, in Dallas behind uh, his former teammate at Ohio State, Ezekiel Elliott. Um, Weber is, you know, I don't know. He's He has good size. He has good athleticism. He was reasonably productive, um, you know, but I don't think he's going to get much action as the number two guy behind Zeke. So he's pretty much a handcuff only, and I'm – I kind of, I don't know, like, I don't think he has the potential of someone like Rodney Anderson or Travion Williams. Like, he was never as productive as those guys. Um, so, I'm not really all that interested in him, but he he has to be mentioned. Kareth White um, is someone who is mildly intriguing coming out of Florida Atlantic. Uh, he was never the lead back, but he has good size, um, you know, like, let me rephrase that for a guy with his speed. And he has like 4.3 ish type of speed. Um, he has good size. Like I think 200 pounds, he has yep. a versatile skill set. Um, can return kicks, uh, can catch the ball reasonably well. Um, you know, explosive as a runner and an athlete. So he's someone who is intriguing with the Chicago bears, but then you look and you say, okay, they have Tarek Cohen. Um, like white has a skill set that is overlapping with Cohen and Cohen is like the, the clear guy who's going to get all that touches white. Isn't going to, um, to challenge David Montgomery for touches. I don't think he's even going to challenge, uh, Mike Davis for touches. So it's like a guy who is intriguing, but he's buried on the depth chart. Um, so there are questions about like, how useful is that really? Right. Uh, one guy who actually really intrigues me is Dylan Mitchell, um, drafted in the seventh round out of Oregon. Um, he played only like, two and a half seasons. And really that's not even, um, accurate, but like he was a two sport, um, four star recruit. Uh, and he lived up to the hype. I think at Oregon, um, he's not very big. Um, actually like in terms of his size and athleticism, he's pretty comparable to, um, to Stefan Diggs. And now he's with the Vikings and the Vikings, uh, under, General Manager Rick Spillman have actually done a pretty good job of finding guys either undrafted or late in the draft who have become contributors at wide receiver. And I think Mitchell, like he has that potential. So he was supposed to be a redshirt freshman his first year on campus. Um, but in the middle of the season, the team needed him to play as a reserve. So he lost his his redshirt season, um, but he really didn't see any action. He had just two receptions as a freshman. Um, but then as a sophomore, in what was like really his first uh, his first season playing, um, he became the number one receiver for Justin Herbert. Um, he led the team in receptions and receiving yards. And then as a junior, um, he again led the team and, you know, had like a pretty good season, uh, 75 receptions over 1100 receiving yards, 10 receiving touchdowns, um, you know, 4.46 40 time at 197 pounds and, you know, six feet, one inches. Like that's, that's sufficiently sized, um, for a guy of his speed. So he's someone who is like, I, I don't want to focus too much on late round receivers because they hardly ever turn out. And when they do, it normally takes them a couple of years. But Mitchell is someone um, that I think is basically free in in rookie uh, rookie drafts. Like all it like he goes undrafted. You can add him on waivers. The only thing you're giving up is a roster spot. Um, so he is someone that I think has a lot of potential. Not a bad case for a player that was drafted that late. Um, yeah, Miles Gaskin. I could see people. Um, he is a running back out of Washington. Ends up in Miami. I could see how some people might try to spin a case that, uh, you know, perhaps there's a path to playing time. I was never too high on Gaskin. I don't believe that you'd be excited about him either. 
Uh, yeah, I, I was excited about him before he was horrible at the combine um, because he, he I mean, he was very productive for four straight seasons at Washington. And like that has to catch your attention. Um, but uh, and I'm like good enough as a receiver. So like there's there's potential there. Like it's not unheard of for a guy who's not really all that athletic, but who does have a pass catching skill set to be a contributor in the NFL. But I don't know. I, I'm just like the Dolphins are horrible anyway. Um, and then they have Kenyon Drake uh, and then Kalen Balaj. Right. And I think Balaj can basically do what they would want out of Gaskin. But I think he can probably do it better. So I'm I'm not going to be interested in Gaskin at all. Right. And as a reminder too, Balaj is a uh, really, really solid athlete. Um, didn't yeah. play running back his entire career, but does have that speed score of 115. So, you know, he does have some explosion and we did see them try to get him involved last year. So though there's only those two players in front of him, um, you know, he still would have to do a little bit of work to ascend to that, um, you know, to ascend into a fair amount of playing time. The yeah. only other player that's really left here, but I think we talked about him last week, was actually um, another Cardinal player, which is uh, Caleb Wilson, a tight end at UCLA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Mister Irrelevant uh, in the draft, and actually he's uh, Mister Irrelevant in my rookie rankings. Um, I have him. <laughs> I have him number fifty. Um, and so, like, I don't want to be interested at all in a seventh round tight end. Um, but like, he's, he's impressive. You know, like 240 pounds and ran a 4.56. Like, he has really good athleticism. I honestly don't know why he lasted, like, this long in the draft. Um, I think part of it is that he's viewed as only, like, a one-dimensional guy. Um, But he's, I mean, I think he's, like, an arbitrage version of um, Noah Fant. Like, and, and that might sound really weird, but, like, he has, he has like, pretty high-end athleticism. Uh, he's a, you know pass only type of, uh, of tight end, but, um, he was really productive in college, um, led his team, uh, as a junior in receiving had 965 receiving yards, um, which like that is really high for a, uh, for a, a tight end. Um, and there's, I think potential in, uh, Cliff Kingsbury's air raid offense, like his first year at Texas tech as the coach, um, the system funneled, basically through their tight end, Jason Morrow. And although like Amaro has done nothing in the NFL, like he was very impressive um, as a prospect, you know, I think drafted in the second round um, and very impressive as a college producer. I think Wilson has some like untapped potential and uh, I'm not really impressed with Ricky Seals Jones, uh, Charles Clay as the number two tight end. Like, I mean, I, he might not even last the whole season in Arizona. Um, I think Wilson could really be like the starting tight end as early as next season. Um, maybe even by the end of his rookie year and just based on his skill set, like I could see him producing. So he is someone I'm not probably going to add, but probably will be monitoring closely. And if I see things starting to change with the depth chart, I might, you know, take a speculative uh, ad on him. I like it. All right. Well, that takes us through um, rounds four through seven. I did not include this, but as we've actually made pretty decent progress, which is which is fine for another quicker show this week, I think. Just give me out of all of these guys that we talked about, which is the one that you're the most excited about? Oh, okay. Let me uh, scroll back through the yep. list. Um, 
that's kind of hard. Um, so, so, uh, Troy Pollard with the Cowboys yep. is one I'm just kind of excited about because he has good size, good athleticism, and he's all around versatile, but I don't think he's going to get a lot of opportunity. Um, Justice Hill is too easy yeah. to say because yep. like, I mean, his, his role is kind of clear and locked in. Um, I will, I will go with Dylan Mitchell as the seventh round wide receiver, uh, out of Oregon for the Vikings. I think he has actually a real chance to emerge as the number three receiver. I don't want to say immediately, but um, I mean, the the Vikings have declined the fifth year option for Laquan Treadwell, who has done literally nothing with the so team bad. since being drafted number one overall. Yeah. Like I, it would not be a surprise for them to be like, you know what? We have another guy here who might have more potential than you. We're going to see what he can do. So uh, Mitchell is the guy that I think has like the best combination of um, like physical profile, college production, um, and then uh, maybe opportunity even, uh, and then like draft cost in a rookie draft. Like he's, he's free. Um, so he's probably the one I would go with. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think the takeaway here is that Friedman is a big fan of Dylan Mitchell. Definitely a guy we want to keep in mind. I want to be a contrarian here against your point of view and say Ola BC Johnson, wide receiver out of Colorado State, who the Vikings also took in the seventh round. But I cannot find any supporting evidence. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's... I don't know. Um, I mean, they, they took two. It's not uncommon like for a team that late to take two. I, I think Mitchell right. is the better guy, but uh, I, I don't really know for sure. One uh, one more player to mention um, if we're – I mean, do we want to yeah. even kind of talk a little bit about like some guys who went undrafted? Sure. Okay. Um, one guy who is interesting to me, um, James Williams – uh, he was the best receiving back in football over the past two years coming out of Washington State, um, signed by the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I mean, they really value what a receiving back can do in that offense. And Damian Williams is, I mean, I, he's interesting to me, but it's been a long time since he's been a lead back, like not since really his, like the middle of his senior year in college. And that was five years ago. And even then he was kind of splitting time. So we can't take like, we, we can't take it for sure that he is going to be the lead guy, or even if he is the lead guy that he's going to get a lot of action. Uh, so James Williams is someone uh, I could see stepping in almost right away in Kansas city uh, and, and playing as a, um, a pretty competent change of pace receiving back. Um, so that's, that's one guy I would maybe keep an eye on. Um, there are some wide receivers who are interesting, but it is so hard for wide receivers early in their career to catch on, especially late round guys. Um, but it, I mean, it is possible for a late round running back to contribute or an undrafted running back to contribute right away. Yeah, definitely. Um, that that's a strong case that uh, you just made for a player like that. And I definitely think that, um, you know, we have seen a number of, well, I don't know if saying a number is fair, but yeah, that definitely is something that can happen where you have an undrafted player, even early on in the career getting involved. Yeah. I mean, involved. It, it happened, it happened just last year with Philip Lindsay. Yeah. That, yeah and that's like, true. Yeah. And, and like, by no means am I saying that like James Williams is Philip Lindsay because like he doesn't have Lindsay's speed. 
Um, Lindsay is actually a very good runner. Williams is not a good runner. Um, like that's just, he didn't run at Washington state just because as an offense, they didn't run the ball. I mean, when they ran, he was the runner, but like, they just chose to use him as a receiving back, which made sense. He literally was like out of all of the backs in college football, the past two years, uh, he has led everyone in receptions. Um, he's just a very good receiving back. Um, so I, I think there is some potential with him, especially, if Tyree kill uh, ends up being suspended or cut or whatever, like yeah. there will be targets that need to go somewhere. And I think Williams is versatile enough where they can play him in the backfield. They can kind of split him in like out wide or in the slot. So I, I think there are lots of things that they could do with him. So yeah, the takeaway here, I think actually is when you find yourself in your rookie draft at the point where you're like, I, I guess I have to take Kelvin Harmon. Don't and uh, go ahead and take <laughs> right. Williams. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, oh, I I would hope that there's still someone else before Williams because, I mean, Williams <laughs> is probably going to do nothing, you know, but like, yeah. I'm just saying like the odds are higher than most people would think that Williams will do something, which you're just like always trying to get an edge with these late round guys. Um, but yeah, don't don't take Kelvin Harmon, take someone else instead. Take take Dylan Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's probably better. Um, all right. So, Matt, before we close out here, I'm going to give you it's been, I think it's been a couple of episodes since we did a non football question for you. OK. OK. So tell me out of these two alternatives, which doctor you rather go to. So my brother and sister, both fairly intelligent people, pretty smart. Right. My brother um, was the you know, the kid that never did any of their homework, never really paid attention, you know, didn't do any work in school, got perfect grades, got by. My sister was the person who maybe could have done just fine, done really well, better than most people if she didn't apply herself, but like applied herself to the absolute max, got perfect grades, but wasn't quite as naturally gifted as my brother. So they're both doctors. My question to you is who do you rather go to? The doctor that is just naturally very smart, very gifted, or the doctor that maybe is a little bit less gifted, but really applied themselves and, and, and is the hardworking one. Do you kind of get where, where this question goes? Yeah. Um, okay. Um, here is, <laughs> I have some questions I need to ask. Yep. Um, are they performing surgery on me or am I just getting a checkup? Oh, that's a great, that's a great question. They're not performing surgery. Okay. Um, and I should assume for the, the sake of this exercise that they have uh, similar, um, like similar specialty. Yeah. So in this question, we'll say that they're in the same specialty. Yes. Yeah. Which one has been practicing medicine longer? Uh, my brother. Okay. But uh, they're would... only there's only like a two year difference. Okay. Um, and where, um, is there like a difference in terms of like the caliber of hospitals where they practice? Um, let's say no. Okay. Um, I would probably go to the, um, to the, the person who's been practicing medicine longer. Um, I guess ultimately what I'd probably want to do is, um, but it would be very hard to find this information, but try to look up. Um, any sort of data I could find on like, uh, has either one of them ever been sued for malpractice <laughs> or, or something like that? Um, are there any, uh, like reports of, you know, like malfeasance or, you know, anything like that? 
and, and then if there's someone who uh, who has had some sort of like issues, then I'm going to the other then one you, clearly. Yeah. Um, if if like everything checks out, then I would probably just go to the one who um, has been practicing longer. Okay. Wow. That I, I actually I like okay. Let, let, let me let me rephrase some of that. Yep. Um, if there was one who went to a program for like uh like residency or internship where it's like really hands on, um, and the other one like it's not quite as hands on like that, I would go to the one who has like more experience. Um, yep. Just like being an actual doctor. Gotcha. So I'll tell you what my opinion on this is because I've always found this an interesting question. I would actually go to my sister um, because the amount of, well, there's a couple of reasons, but one is, you know, my brother could look at the stuff, you know, five minutes before the test and know everything, but I don't think that that demonstrates the level of caring that you're really thinking about it holistically, perhaps that it's all going to set in. Not to say that I don't think, you know, he's good at what he does, but I think my sister, there's a very good chance that even if there was the most obscure little thing she gave that section like her full absolute attention and really put like her everything into it. So I think what you're left with is you have the one person that can kind of maybe is a little bit better naturally at putting the puzzle together, but you have the person that's kind of seeing the pieces better. So I think my answer actually is I would go to my sister, in this case, the one that, you know, maybe is like 95% of the other person's intelligence, but gave always gave like 150%. Yeah. So my sense is that, and I might be wrong about this, but, um, like those things have more to do with like medical school or with just like school in general, as opposed to like the actual practice of medicine or like uh, a profession. So like, although your, we'll say like your brother was like, maybe, I don't know, kind of like a a jerk off when it came to school, like when it comes to actually being a doctor, like hopefully he's not a jerk off. You know what I mean? Like hopefully he's he's paying attention to all of those things, which is, and so at that point, assuming they're both like professionals uh, and both, you know, like looking at all of the the clues to diagnose something that they need to, um, I would probably rather just take the person who has more experience because then I think that they would maybe be more equipped to, uh, to sort through everything. Like maybe they've seen just more cases um, that can equip them to diagnose things. Yeah, that's actually a good perspective too. The funny thing is, I'm picturing my brother listening to be this, listening to this, and being like, "Dude, you you painted me as like a complete a hole," um, <laughs> which isn't, you know, which isn't really the case. But that that's interesting. Um, like like if I were in medical school or like yep. I were like an undergrad, let's say like I was in organic chemistry with one of these people, and I had to pair up for some sort of project, I would easily pair up with your sister. Right. Because like she's the person who would take that seriously. But like, I mean, when it comes to people who are basically more or less the same uh, in terms of like their skill set or like their knowledge, I'll just go with the person who has more experience. Yeah, I think that's a real, real solid approach. Um, I don't know if I can bring this one back with some applicability to fantasy, but nonetheless, um, I, I don't think so. But I mean, it's I don't know. It's just the perspective of like, how do you how do you look at people? Like, how do you evaluate situations? Like, that's basically all we're doing. And you can apply that perspective to anything you do. Yeah, I like it. Um, you know what? Since since we're off track here, I'm going to ask you another question. Now, this was one that I used to spend hours thinking about when I was a kid. Okay. And I'm sure other people have had a similar thought. You have a ball that when you throw this ball 
it just defies the laws of physics. Nothing can stop this ball. This ball will go over anything. But there's also a wall that's like this ever infinite expanding wall that just you can you cannot throw anything over this wall. What happens when you throw the ball at the wall? Uh, I don't really care. <laughs> I mean, like, so I mean, it seems like this is an impossible universe. Yeah, it is. If, if this is if this is a a ball that can go over everything, but there's a wall that nothing can go over, then like these are two different universes. Right. So when I was a kid, I used to really, really struggle with this because I was thinking that you know, it, there had to be one option which was either the ball goes over the wall or the wall blocks the ball but then i just kind of arrived at the it why can't they just infinitely keep going so the balls just continue to go up and the walls going up i think that's probably what would happen in this universe yeah yeah okay that's interesting yeah i i think that's probably the case at some point they both just form like perpendicular not perpendicular parallel lines where the wall is going up and and the ball is going up and that's that's it. They just go up forever. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm picturing. That's, we might have somebody out there that majored yeah. in physics or something like that or philosophy or something out there that, that has thought about this. Um, at which point, feel free to shoot us uh, an email. I would love to hear your thoughts. All right. Anything else from you, sir, before we uh, close out? No, let's close it out. All right. Well, that is going to do it for today's show. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Be sure to check out Rotoviz, and if there are any topics you want us to discuss or questions you'd like for us to answer, send an email to rotovizradio at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.